You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Amen. He is risen. Amen. Thank you. Some of us have been to some other types of churches besides our Baptist foundations. I heard one person over here in the corner. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, we'll try that again. Just so, I just, I, Listen, I love being a Baptist. I do. But I also love some liturgy stuff that we tend to miss out on sometimes. And all around the world right now, in different languages, people are gathering in churches throughout this 24-hour cycle of what we call Resurrection Day. And somebody will get up and say, he is risen. And their response will be, he is risen indeed. So let's try that out. He is risen, church. He is risen indeed. Amen. That sounds good, doesn't it? That is good to say. It is good to celebrate. We're going to celebrate it today. I hope you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. We are going to be uh, together looking at the resurrection, the importance of it in the context, and in looking at it through the lens of historical views through Isaiah. And so I hope you'll understand that this doesn't mean we're not going to get to the resurrection because you know what? Everything in the Old Testament points to the coming of the the Messiah, points to his coming to die and then his raising in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell. That he succeeded in accomplishing his mission and then everything in the Gospels, in the New Testament beginning Gospel accounts are all about pointing to all those things that happened, ultimately the apex, which is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then everything after that in the letters and all that comes after that is all pointing back to that same thing. So every day for Christians is about the resurrection because every day for Christians is about the death of Jesus. And he didn't stay dead in some tomb in the Middle East. He rose again in three days. Amen? This is the good news that we proclaim every day to ourselves and to others. We need to do more and more as we become shaped more and more to the image of Christ. And I want us to walk through several pieces, Isaiah 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse 12. We're going to look at it in three verse segments, and we're just going to walk through together some things that are pointing from hundreds of years before Jesus to the coming of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf on the cross and out of the grave. And he's gone to prepare a place for us and to intercede for us. And so we're going to take the time to walk through that together. Are you ready, church? Good. Amen. I love, you know what? For a lot of folks would think, just so you know, just so that the, the normal thought in the churchy world is that modern style services are much more responsive. But you know what? Y'all kill it in here and they do not. And so I'm trying to feed it into them a little bit more earlier because you guys really feed back and so I really appreciate that. So are you ready? Ready. Good. All right. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 through 15. Let's read it through one time here then we'll pray and then we'll kind of unpack it. 52 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not 
been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Lord, help us to understand this morning. Help us to see and hear rightly. Lord, help us to see the greatness and the wonder and the beauty and the magnanimous nature of the resurrection and what it means for us now. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send us Jesus. Not only to bring understanding to our eyes, Lord, to point us to who you are, but to become one of us and to serve us, even to the point of suffering death on the cross. In our place, he stood condemned. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus, Lord. We ask that you help us to live more like him and to give him honor and glory as we make your name famous. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's unpack that a little bit here as we begin in Isaiah 52, 13. This first statement is one that you could breeze by really quickly and not catch all of what's going on here. So listen, behold, my servant shall act wisely. And that just makes sense. Like, Jesus is going to be a wise guy, right? He's going to act wisely. But it means much more than this when you look at it in the Hebrew. In fact, to get the full understanding of what it means when it says, behold, my servant shall act wisely, it's meaning that it will be taken to the point of completion, that he will act wisely to the point at which he will succeed at whatever he has come to do. Does that make sense to you guys? So he will not just act wisely, but you have to understand it, that it means he will act wisely and complete the mission, that he will succeed. That's what is being said here. Jesus will succeed. He will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You see, I think that a lot of us have the idea of success that differs a lot from the biblical idea of success when we see it in the context of the gospel. We see it right here where it's saying, my servant shall act wisely, my servant shall succeed, my servant will be successful in what he does. And we oftentimes hear that word success, or we hear that word succeed, and we put it in the context of how we think about success. We think about it as in every since you were born, you've been trying to be trained up by your parents to be successful, probably, right? Uh, They want you to be successful in school so you can be successful at getting a job. And so you can be successful in your job so you can then save up some money and be successful in having a good 401k for retirement and that you can also have a good home and have a good family and bring up your own kids and be successful in raising those kids so when that retirement comes that you're successful enough where they can be successful in taking care of you. Amen? Right? That's my plan. I'm running the numbers game. I'm going to have six, you know? Hoping one of them will come through. Thank you, Lord, for a third girl. Here's what I know, though. Success in the Bible doesn't always look like success in the way we view it in our American or Western or just worldly ideology. Okay, what I see in the scriptures when it talks about here, look at these verses again. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, shall be successful in what he does. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And you're like, yeah, Jesus is high and lifted up. He's above all things. But that's not what this is talking about exactly. This is talking about how he was high and lifted up prior to the resurrection. How do you know? Because look right behind it. As many were astonished at you, 
the first person language is God speaking about the second person language, which is the son. So God's saying, as many were astonished at you, Jesus, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. In other words, this is pointing to what happened to him and his being tortured so badly that he was beyond recognition as a human. Okay? So one of the things I really enjoyed about the Passion of the Christ movie when it came out was that it really gave me a new understanding of what it meant for Jesus to go through the torture and the crucifixion in the physical ways. I didn't like watching it, okay? It was pretty overwhelming, but it helped me to understand a little better about those things. But what it could never do is help you to understand that even that physical marring, that physical torture, none of that compares to the impact on Jesus, to the torture, to the torment he was under when he experienced hell on earth of God's full wrath for all of us poured out on him until he drank it all down and said, it is finished. And he did finish it, brothers and sisters. And then he gave up his spirit and he died and he stayed in the grave for three days and he rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell on our behalf. Amen? That's good news. That is the gospel. That is the good news. He has succeeded. He has succeeded. It says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. You get that Old Testament picture? That Old Testament picture is the Old Testament idea of the atonement, which was they would take an animal and they would sacrifice the animal. They would catch all the blood of that animal and then they would sprinkle that on, the, on God's kind of seat in the Holy of Holies, all right? And that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. Now, we know that an animal is not worth an entire nation, and we know that it wasn't enough because they had to do it every year. It was a sign pointing to the greater sacrifice who was to come that Isaiah is talking about. That is, Jesus' own blood spilled out on the cross in our place. So shall he sprinkle many nations. He didn't have to atone over and over again. He atoned once and for all on the cross, and it was enough. His blood is sufficient. Amen? That's good news. He was beaten up beyond recognition. He died a criminal's death on the cross. And in our place, he stood condemned so that he might make atonement for our sins. The righteous one for sinners. That's us. He died for us. His blood shed for us. His blood had to be shed. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. I love that song. My kid's learning it. My littlest one, she's learning it right now. I know littlest isn't a word. I get it. Exactly like that. Okay, My littlest one, I call her the littlest. She believes it because the Bible tells her so. Here's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the only way you get forgiveness of sins is for the blood to be shed. So that means really if we're going to be forgiven for our sins, our blood should be shed. And then we can find forgiveness. But really, it doesn't even work there because we have sinned against a holy, eternal God, so our blood had to be shed for eternity. That's the idea of hell. But this man, Jesus Christ the righteous, the king of the universe, became our servant and suffered to the point of death in our place, even death on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. That's the good news of Easter, right? Of the resurrection day. He was laid in a tomb, but he didn't stay buried because he had succeeded and the work was finished. 
He paid it all. One of the songs I love to sing about it says, Death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. The veil that separated us from God's presence. He silenced the boast of sin in the grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of his glory. For he is raised to life again. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever God reigns. Jesus reigns. He has the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the name above all names. You know that, right? Talks about it in the New Testament. You didn't think we were going to get there, but we are. Philippians 2, 6. It says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Father. That means every tongue will confess. There's some people that won't confess it right now. There's some people that won't confess it in this lifetime. But at the end, every tongue will confess. Every tongue in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth will confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. He commands us to do everything we do for His glory. Do it all for the glory of God. In one way or the other, in the end, we're all going to do that for His glory even if it's unwillingly done because they will be in his presence, they will have to speak the truth, just like the demons did when they met Jesus on the way. It will happen. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord. Nothing can stand against him. What a powerful name. You know why it's powerful? Because he spilt his blood out on the cross for our sins. So shall he sprinkle many nations. We're a part of that. We're not Israel, just in case you're wondering. We've been grafted into the family of God. Israel missed the boat. Let's make sure we don't do like Israel. Israel missed the boat because they missed the point that when they were brought in through Abraham, it was talked about that you will be a blessing to the nations and through you, I will bless all these other nations. And they failed to do what they were made to do originally, which was to be the way in which the world was blessed to know God. Let us not have the same failure. It is our mission, just like it was Jesus' mission, to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission. No matter what we have done, it's good to know he has succeeded. He paid the debt that we owe for our sins. And now we as sinners can be declared right with God. That's the whole problem of the Bible, right? The fact is, is that we are sinners. That means that we have missed the mark. We were made in the image of God to live our lives in a way that gives him glory in everything we do at all times. And we have missed the mark. That's, a, it's a, that's an archer's language. Okay? I love to shoot a bow. I don't get much to shoot at with my bow anymore because i got a bunch of kids, but I love to shoot my bow. And I know when I miss the mark, right? It's easy to see when you miss the mark. And I hate missing the mark because sometimes you miss your arrows. You can't find them. I miss the mark all the time. You miss the mark all the time because we don't always hit the bullseye of doing it all for the glory of God. And therefore, the problem in the Bible is, is that God forgives us 
yet he's still a just God. You can't remain just and not punish wickedness. You can't remain just and not punish sins. And so the way he overcomes that is he sends his one and only son to become the one who is perfect, living out the life we could not live, and then taking on our sins upon his shoulders, dying the death we deserve, so that we could be declared righteous, the righteousness of Christ declared upon us. So when he looks at us, he sees us as clean and pure because the blood of Christ has washed away our sins. As far as the east is from the west, we have been purified from our sins. That is the gospel. That is the good news for us. That he died and he's raised again and he has washed away our sins if we put our hope and trust in Jesus because he has succeeded. It is done. It is finished. And he is risen. Let's carry on, Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That means to whom has the strength, the strong power of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Man, when you look at that and you recognize that there was nothing beautiful about him. It doesn't make him stand out. Jesus didn't have the resume that we all hope for in our pastor or in our boss or in our doctor. He doesn't have that. He didn't go to all the right schools. When he went back to Nazareth, they're all like, we know this guy. We wiped his nose and his rear end. This can't be the Messiah. Nothing special about him. This is not the one. Can't be this guy. All the Pharisees, you didn't go to the right school. You didn't get the right training. You're hanging out with all the fishermen. That's the dropouts. The tax collectors. The sinners. Don't you know any better? This isn't you. This isn't the right one. And I think... Listen, brothers and sisters, I think it's easy for us to look at that and think, yeah, those crazy people should have seen the truth. They'd have just known. How often do we not even think about him in whatever our moment is? We are no different. We walk through our day not taking into account this thing he has done for us where the one who created us became one of us to serve us to the point of death on the cross and that because he died for that very sin of me not even thinking about him on the cross, I've now been redeemed and I've been brought into his family, adopted. Look, you might have spent your entire life disregarding Jesus. You might say, I would never do that. Maybe, maybe you have disregarded the ultimate truth that you need to surrender your life to him just like he surrendered his life for you. You might have lived your life like so many others, like I've lived a lot of my life, despising him, rejecting him. Not outwardly, of course, because that would be uncouth in the South, right? But just not living for his glory. You might have even spent years hiding your face from him because you hoped he couldn't see what you were doing or because you were ashamed or maybe just because you didn't want him looking at you or maybe just because you don't even want to see him, maybe because you don't want to think about it. And so we hide our faces in movies or books or clubs or events, or jobs, or family, so that we don't have to think much about him. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, you might not have thought much about him in the last few days, the last few years, or your entire life, but I can assure you he has spent much time thinking about you. 
2,000 years ago on the cross, he was thinking about you, specifically you. About every one of us, he was thinking about you and me. And you were on his mind right now as you were hearing this good news about Jesus today. I know that because later on at the very end it says that he makes intercession for the transgressors. That's us. He right now is interceding on our behalf. So you're on his mind right now because he's interceding. You're hearing this message probably because he said, Father, get that one there to hear the message. He's interceding for you because he loves you. And he has not stopped thinking about you. So let me ask that question again in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Are you believing that truth? Are you really believing that truth in a way that changes your life, that changes how you live? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Is the all-powerful arm of the Lord drawing you into his love right now? Then do not hide your face any longer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Do not turn away. Do not think that your sins are too great to be loved. Do not think that his sacrifice was not enough. His sacrifice was greater than all of our sins. There's nothing you could do and no amount of piling up the sins. Hitler's sins are enough to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The worst person that's ever walked the earth, whoever that might be in your mind, the blood of Jesus is enough to wash away their sins if they repent and believe on him. That means ours are too. The pain and the suffering of your sins that has caused other people or that has caused even yourself has surely been great. But his sacrifice was greater. His blood is greater. For he has succeeded in overcoming death and hell and Satan and sin in his death on the cross. It looked like everybody else was winning. The Romans, the Pharisees, Satan himself, but even in what appeared to be the end, we see God bringing about redemption. What a glorious God we serve. He uses the weak things to shame the strong. He uses the things that are not to shame those that are, right? This is the kind of life he gives. What makes us think that our life would be any different than that, brothers and sisters? We will go through hard times. We will go through hard times as individuals, as a family, as a faith family. It will be difficult, and that's okay. Because in those moments, God uses those to help us to lean more into the arms of Jesus so that we see how much he has overcome already in the cross. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it okay. For he has succeeded. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Look at those words right there in verse 5 where it says, He was crushed for our iniquities. And have you thought about that? In the Bible it says that it pleased the Father, to crush His Son. I can't get over it. I see my boys, no way. Not for you or anybody else. I can't do it. And the one who's worthy of all glory, the one who deserves all praise, the one who 
Through him was spoken everything into being, the one who's all-powerful, who spoke ex nihil out of nothing, and things came into being. Through him, he is going to be the one who takes my sins upon his shoulders, and it pleased his father to crush him. I cannot fathom, but I am so thankful. And when we stare into that gospel, the same gospel that says that the angels long to look in, it should revolutionize everything. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. You hear that? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are prone to wandering. Every single one of us are prone to wandering. All of us have turned to our own way, every one. And because we have lived for our own glory and not for God's glory, God must bring down his wrath upon us if it were not for Jesus stepping into our place. And in our place, he was condemned. Instead of leaving us to our own ways, God sent his only son to save us from our sins. Surely, it says, look at this first word, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I'm going to read it again. Listen to it again. Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Listen, brothers and sisters. You do not have, you do not, listen, you do not have to carry your griefs and sorrows any longer. He bore them all for you on the cross. He carried them all away. When he went up to Calvary. And the Father laid all your griefs and all your sorrows on him. So let us not dare pick those back up and act like his sacrifice wasn't worth it. Let us not dare pick those back up and own those and try to walk with those like that, like that his blood is not sufficient. For we know he was successful and his blood paid it all. Amen? And let us trust that truth. Let us believe. But Lord, help our unbelief. Lay those cares, lay those concerns, lay those griefs, lay those regrets down. And do not pick them back up anymore because that is our unbelieving the gospel. Let us not disbelieve the gospel. You don't have to carry them anymore. Lay them back down at the foot of the cross because he already paid for those. He bought them off of your shoulders. He was pierced, it says, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was placed the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus has succeeded. You can have healing instead of hurts, instead of hang-ups, instead of habits. If you'll just turn to Jesus today. He voluntarily, voluntarily submitted himself and substituted himself in our place on the cross, willfully dying the death that we deserve because he loves us the way that we should have been loving him all along. You hear that? It took voluntarily him doing that. You know why? Because no nails could have held him on the cross. He's the creator of the universe. No, no, no beat down would have stopped him from getting off that cross if he wanted. The only thing holding him on that cross is his willful desire to seek and save the lost and to honor his father. That's it. By his own power, he remained on that cross. By his own power, that cross 
stayed together. He would have just had to take his mind off of it for a moment. And the Father would have, would have just disintegrated the cross. He voluntarily substituted himself in our place because he lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve because he loves us, listen, perfectly and infinitely. You may not know this about me, but I used to be a math teacher. That accounts for a lot of my boring conversations. Amen? What I love in some of my kids is when we talk about infinity. They ask questions a lot just on the fly, riding down the road before we go to bed, trying to stay awake, you know, whatever they can think of. And they ask, Daddy, what's, is infinity plus infinity still infinity? I'm like, yep. How about infinity times infinity? Still infinity. What about infinity plus one? Still infinity. What about infinity minus one? Well, I can't give you that number. It's still kind of infinity. You know, it's like a weird math thing. Do you understand the idea of infinity? None of your sins piled up together, plus all my sins piled up together, plus everybody else's sins piled up together, plus everybody else's sins they've ever accomplished, ever done, the sins they didn't do, things they should have done they didn't do, and everything that's ever going to be done that shouldn't be done, and everything that should have been done that's not going to be done, all those things all piled up together will never outpace and outmatch the love of Christ on the cross for us. Infinity. Infinitely loving us. Perfectly loving us. This is the kind of love that we were destined to receive. This is the kind of love that we are made to live in. This is the kind of love we are intended to live out toward all others in our lives. Take for just a moment, listen to this. What if you were to take, just for a moment, and put it in context of relationships? The whole Bible is about relationships. I will be your God, you'll be my people, and I will walk among you forever and ever. That's a relational statement. That's the whole Bible summed up in the beginning all the way to the end. That's what God keeps saying over and over again to us. It's all about relationship with him. Okay, you hear the scriptures talk about this in husband and wife? Just a second. You ready, guys? Okay, the wives are ready. Guys are like, "Uh uh-oh. Here's what happens. Our marriages are meant to be a picture of the gospel so that people can look at us and go, wow, that's what Jesus is about? Ephesians 5, verse 21, it states, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, And wives, submit to your husbands. Before you guys get too excited... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then it tells, fast forward a couple verses to verse 25, and it then says, husbands, love your wives. And you're like, well, that's easier than submitting. No, no, no. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her on the cross. So, so put that in context here. That kind of love, that sacrificial, substitutionary kind of love, substitutionary atonement, that Jesus loved us so much that he humbled himself to become our servant, to then die in our place on the cross so that we could be brought into his family. That's the way we're supposed to love our wives, guys. So when people see that, they go, that's a crazy relationship. Why do you do that? Because of Jesus. Ladies, that's why you're called to submit to your husbands in the same way. So the word submit for you is because it's harder maybe for you, and for guys it's really hard to love. I don't know why that is the case. That just seems to be the case. Okay? I don't know why. It's just the words that are there. Here's what I know. Both of us struggle with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we could do that, it would point people and our own selves to the gospel. Think about it another one. What about children? What if we just loved our children that way? Listen, if you're a good parent, which most of you that I know are great parents, if you have kids, you're great parents. And here's what I know about you. 
you are already living out this substitutionary atonement in a way for your kids, sacrificing yourself for your kids, because here's how I know that. Because you're not still doing the things you did before you have kids. You're sacrificing for your kids. And I know you haven't failed at that completely because you haven't, you still got your kids. I mean, you still have them. You didn't drop them off somewhere and walk away, right? When they're like 12. We hit those preteen years. It gets crazy. What would it look like to love people in that sacrificial kind of way? Not just our kids. What about your coworkers? What about your friends? What about total strangers? This is what we're called to live in as the church. This is why it says they will know you because of the way you love one another. This is how we're to love. What, it, what, would, what would it look like if we loved our enemies this way? You think, I don't have any enemies. Okay, who are your least favorite people? That's probably the people that God would consider to be the way you're treating your enemies. And then remember this. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. Truly his enemies, he died for us. It's not easy, but that's the kind of love that we are made to live out. Because that's the kind of love that's been given to us. You understand? It's always reflective. It always comes from the Father. We love him because he first loved us. You see? So we live it out because of that. So if you are his, we're going to live that kind of love out. It doesn't mean it's always going to be pretty. It's not going to be messy because relationships are messy. But it does mean we're going to love each other as Christ loved the church. And when we mess up, we're going to ask for forgiveness. When we ask forgiveness, we're going to give forgiveness because that's who we are. And we're going to live this out with one another because that's what it looks like to love Jesus and to love one another and to try to love the lost because that's what Jesus has done for us. This is the kind of love that Christ Jesus has shown toward us and dying on the cross for us. This is the kind of love that can overcome any transgression. But how do you know that's true? I know because he has succeeded. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it out on the cross. And he didn't just die and he's holed up in some grave in the Middle East. He rose again. He is risen, church. He is risen indeed. Good day. Easter, Resurrection Day, whatever you want to call it, it's Jesus Day. And for us as Christians, that's every day. So he is risen today. He is risen tomorrow. And it drives everything we do. And you can trust in his love because it is sure and solid. It is more certain than any other thing in the world. Even though it feels a little harder to grasp at times. The same love that drove Jesus to the cross is calling out to us right now even. Because he didn't just stop then. He sent his Holy Spirit to pursue us. And that love can be yours, not secured by your goodness or by your perfection, but by his perfection and by his goodness. Good news indeed. Good news indeed. And his love that was secured 2,000 years ago on the cross is greater than any and all of our sins, for he has succeeded in purchasing us out of our sin. And also for paying for our adoption into his family. He didn't just get us like a trophy to put on the shelf. He made us his brothers and sisters. I don't know how many of you guys would want to inherit like a few million brothers and sisters to share the wealth with. But that's exactly what he did. Look at it, Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered 
Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Did you ever notice how Jesus didn't say a word? You know why that's so important? It's because he willfully did everything that needed to be done. The same guy who spoke and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up out of the grave. And I firmly believe he said the name Lazarus because if he didn't, every dead person in earshot would have come out of the grave because that's how powerful he is. The same, he didn't speak because he willfully went to the grave for us. He should have. He should have said, this is not my sin. This is not my torture I should be enduring. I'm the only one that doesn't deserve this. Instead, he kept his mouth shut and loved us perfectly to the point of death on the cross. And that same love can be our love if we will repent and believe in Jesus. One of my favorite songs of all time talks about our being prone to wonder. It says, just in excerpts, Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God. That's me. Probably you. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Man, if we would just pray that prayer to the Lord, even now. It may have been the first time you've ever heard the gospel in a way that pierced your heart today. Today is the day of redemption for you. Turn, repent. That's what that word repent means. Turn to the Lord and believe on Jesus. And it could be that you've heard it a million times, and now you're hearing it for a million point one times. Today's the day of repentance for you. Maybe you're already his, and you're thinking, well, that's good for them. What about for me? You know what? Today, I've said it over and over again. You're getting tired of hearing it, I know. But you and I need Jesus just as much right now as the first time we met him, and just as much right now, and just as much right now. Otherwise, we're destroyed, condemned. We're still living in his grace, and his blood is sufficient. And no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've wandered, we can never run so far that God would not want us any longer. We can never do so much that God would not be willing to forgive because Jesus' blood is sufficient because he succeeded on the cross to pay the price. If you pray those words, if you seek him out and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. And you really mean that in your heart. You will be saved. That is true because you will do that because that's what the Lord has brought you here to hear and respond to today. Because you need to repent and believe of your sins. And I need to repent and believe my sins. It said, Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means repent now and keep on repenting. Believe now and keep on repenting. And we keep on believing. For Jesus has succeeded. How do I know he's going to do it? I'll tell you why. Because we are his reward. That's how. How do you know he's going to follow through? Because we're, we're the bounty. Go look at verse 10 through 12 real quick. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Listen, 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. There it is. The inheritance divided with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Not only did he die for you 2,000 years ago, not only did he defeat Satan's sin, death, and hell for you 2,000 years ago. Not only did he raise himself up in victory and go to prepare a place and go to be with the Father and get out of this place that's just tainted with sin everywhere that probably makes his skin crawl because he's holy and we're not. Like all that stuff. Instead, he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and to lead us and guide us and to seal us for the day of redemption. And now also, he's still interceding on our behalf. He's still praying for you right now. He's advocating for you before the Father right now. And if you've never believed in Jesus before, right now he's advocating for you. That's probably why God put you in a place to hear the gospel today. And if you've been wandering, he loves you too much to let you go. And that's why you're hearing it today. Because he loves you that much. Our love is always a reflection. We love him because he first loved us. And he loves you. And he wants you. And he died for you. And his death succeeded in making the way for you. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by him. And his death succeeded in that way. So do not wait. Do not tarry. Do not put it off. We're all prone to wander. But let us not wander any longer. Don't wander into those mindless ways of sinning. Don't wander into those things you shouldn't look at. Don't wander into those heartstrings that get you all mad and upset and bitter. Don't wander in. Turn back to the Lord and come to the good shepherd who's calling out for you today. Turn to the Lord and find that his faithfulness is enough to overcome our unfaithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. His goodness is enough to overcome our evilness, our sinfulness, our not being good enough. Thank you, Lord. Amen. His mercy is enough to overcome our pride and stubbornness. Let me change it. I'm not going to put it on you. To overcome my stiff-neckedness, my stubbornness, my pride. Yes, Lord, to you belong all the praise and all the glory, for you alone should be the one boasted in, Lord. You know why? Because his blood is enough. It is always sufficient because he succeeded. Your blood's enough, Lord. If you can't say that with whatever your issue is, take just one second. Whatever you're struggling with today, whatever you're struggling with this week, whatever your hearts and hang-ups are today, and if you can't say your blood's enough to cover that, those griefs, those sorrows, those regrets, those hurts, those hang-ups, those habits, those sins, Lord, your blood's enough, Lord. I really believe it is. If you can't say that and really believe it, then there within that lies the issue today for you to repent before the Lord. 1 Peter 2, we're closing down here. 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Are you returning? 
Are you hearing it today? Are you turning back to the Lord? Today's the day of redemption. Do not tarry. Do not wait. First Corinthians 15 sums up the gospel. Three and four. Paul says it. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He has succeeded. Jesus is alive. And so can you be, brothers and sisters. So can you be if you put your hope in Jesus. That's why we can believe John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever. That means you, no matter what you've done, you don't have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Whoever believes on him will be saved. Just believe on him. Don't put it away. Don't walk away today. Come to the good shepherd. Go to his hands. Fall at his feet. Drop those burdens he already paid for on the cross. Don't hold them against yourself any longer. Don't wander away. Don't hide your face. Don't act like you've got it down because all of us need to repent and believe. He has defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell in our place on the cross. He is alive. He has succeeded. And if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you too can be raised from the dead. Death does not hold us anymore either, brothers, sisters. It's good news. When death comes knocking at our door, nothing to fear. If you're in Christ, death has been dealt with. He paid for that burden as well. So you close your eyes and breathe out your last and take your next breath in the kingdom with glory in his presence, never hindered again. Praise the Lord. Praise the King. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And let us worship Him because of His risenness every day of our lives and make every day about Resurrection Day because it is everything that we're about because He is everything to us. Father, we need Your good kindness right now. I cannot, but You have already done it in Christ. We need You, Lord. Help us as we pray to you right now. Well, there's some people that are listening or watching or that are present here with us that have not known you yet in a saving way. I beg you to break into their hearts with your Holy Spirit that you would beckon them, that you would woo them, that they would repent of their sin and believe on Jesus and that you would get the glory and we would get another brother or sister into the kingdom today. Lord, do not let anybody walk away that you're working in. Lord, please press your grace and mercy upon them that they cannot deny it. And Lord, I ask, Father, that you press yourself on us as well, that we would not be able to walk away from whatever it is you're trying to get us to let go of. Help us to trust in you, to come back face to face with you, that you would be our God and we would be your people and you would walk among us forever and always. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more like Jesus has loved us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.